Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. We're glad you've joined us to listen to a message from our pastor, Ashley Ellison. We believe God's Word is powerful and that it can be applied to our lives so that we may live victoriously. Let's join Pastor Ashley now as he shares the Word with us. Well, today, I'm glad you're here. I, uh, I, I just can't stay quiet about this any longer. i got to talk about it. What's going on with Israel and Gaza, Hamas, we have to have a biblical understanding of this. And I, as much as I want to just sit up here and talk about everything else other than that, we've got to know as you're watching what's going on on the news that it's not always a biblical representation of how we need to think. And so I, I, I can't leave it alone. I've, I've actually had phone calls. I've had people telling me, when are you going to say something about this? Or are you? Or, and if you're not, it's no big deal. I want you. I appreciate everybody's heart on that. And, and I, I think there, there's a lot to be learned. And to be honest, a lot of it's taught on history and uh, what we need to know based on historical facts. And I shy away from history because it's not my favorite subject. But I don't shy away from the word because it's not just history, it's present tense. Yeah, that's right. And so I don't look at the Bible as a history lesson, I look at it as a guide for our life. And so with what we're seeing going on in Israel, we've, we've just got to know. We've got to know how to think here. We've got to know what's going on. Ezekiel, I want to open with scripture today, chapter 33. We've got to understand this and we've got to understand our role in what's happening right now in the world. Ezekiel 33, verse 1, says, Once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it. So the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will be saved yourself. Let's just pray for just a moment. Father, I pray that this scripture would just unfold for us, that we would understand our role in what's going on in the world and your love for your people. Lord, I thank you that we've been adopted in and we're your people. God, I praise you and I thank you for equipping us to have right thinking and right actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're watchmen. 
That's what we are. We are watchmen. This scripture should hold us responsible, responsible for getting the word out with what's going on in our world. And I, and I just got to tell you, you can't stay silent anymore. And, and I, I can't either. I, I can't not talk about this. Why? Because it seems like every time I hear anything going on from a national stand, it's always talking about how to think about Israel and Gaza. Now, Gaza right now has leadership in it that's not all Muslim, but majority of the leadership is Muslim, and the people are not, let me say that again, the people are not all Muslim in Gaza. There is a, a group of people there that were, when, when Jerusalem had the Jews coming back, they settled in Gaza. So there's a group of, of people there that are Christians and Jews. Now they say statistically that it's only 30 to 35%. So I've got, when I'm talking about Gaza, you have to understand, little bitty piece of land that borders the Mediterranean and Israel, and, and it's in this position that there's a strip right through there that I, I just don't understand except for the Bible makes it real clear why there's always frustration there. It's not a major port there's not a major river. There's not, it makes no sense for this to be a national news all the time, but it is because it's biblical. And we just have to understand some things about it so that we can be the watchmen. And you can know when people start talking about what they've seen on the news, they're, they're going to take a side, and we've got to make sure that the side we take when we're in those circles is God's side. Not just the news side. They, just this week, I've heard a count of how many deaths have gone on there. And if you'll look this up, they're going to say that there's 1,400, somewhere around 1,400 deaths on Israel's side and over 9,000 on Gaza's side. Now, you've got to know that Hamas is formed out of what they call the Muslim Brotherhood. And they are Muslim. They, they're Islamic. We have to know some things about this because when you hear it, you don't hear anything about the religion side or the biblical side of what's going on here. See, the, Israel says that they're saying there's over 9,000, 9,400 to be exact is what they're reporting, that have died in Gaza as a result of Israel. And they're blaming Israel for all these deaths. And Israel says there's nowhere near 9,000. I would think that if you're in war, you wouldn't send messages and tell people where your next bombs were to strike. But Israel does that to get out all the people that are innocent. And they're trying to win back their people that right now are held captive. They say there's still a bunch of prisoners that they have taken 
from the beginning of October when they invaded Israel. And you guys know all that you're hearing. And what I'm telling you is I don't think we really know everything. I just know that everybody right now seems to be yelling peace. We even had here in the capital of the United States of America, the week or two after we were there, they're right there in, in the, the capital yelling peace, peace, peace. And they're saying that it's a bunch of Jews. Now, I don't know if it was staged. I don't know any of this. But what I'm telling you, the propaganda, what they're trying to get across is that God's people are saying peace, 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 and Israel needs to quit. And my question is, if your home is attacked, do you just quit and say, yeah, do whatever you want. Take my kids, take my wife, take my children. No, you defend. And you win back. And you do everything that you can to do that. I have some real concerns. So if if for those of you that are looking for me not to just talk this morning, I'm going to be a lot of talk. I'm going to be a lot of talk. But I hope that my talk is educational and it teaches you something. So I've got three points. Three points. And I'm going to tell you at the beginning that I'm going to talk. I have some concerns that I see in the situation here in America. And I'll get to all of these in more specific terms here in a moment. But I just want to bring people to a place where we understand this biblically. So the first concern that I have in this situation is we have, once again, a real rise of Islam in our world. And and I want to talk about that. The second point, the concern that I have. So my first point, or the first concern is that Islam is being seen in a light that is not biblical. I'll get to that. My second concern is that Christians have the wrong response. Christians have to have the right response, but they can if they don't understand Islam. So my second concern is Christians taking responsibility to get educated. And I have been working on this for a couple of weeks, getting educated so that I know more about it. And the more I study, the more I find I'm just ignorant. Isn't that the way it is when you really start diving into something? You're like, wow, wow, wow. And that's what I've been doing. I've been learning everything that I didn't know, and now I'm finding out that i got a lot more to learn. And I feel very inadequate even in a lot of ways to deliver this today. But here's what I can tell you. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit because I prayed about that, and I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to empower and make up for my weaknesses in these areas. But I can't be quiet about it anymore. We've got to equip our people. And my third concern is that here in the United States, we have people, we have leadership, we have Christians turning their back on Israel. And you can't turn on the news and not see it. So let's start with my first concern. I want to give you a real uplifting word right now. The Christian threat is under control. Don't you think about that. Because Islam... And everyone else is making out Christianity to be a threat. And I want to give you a different word. The Christian threat is under control. There's not a problem with the Christian threat, if you will. There's not a worry about Christians killing a bunch of people. The Christian threat's under control. Let me give you an example. Ladies, if you broke down... You're driving a car, you're by yourself, you break down in the worst part of town, and you had to walk after dark to find help. And while you're walking, a group of four men leave a house that you are passing, 
and they begin walking just behind you, how do you feel? There is a bit of prayer probably happening and what's going on here. But as you listen to what they're saying, you notice they're talking about God. And the next thing is you find out they just left a Bible study session. And you turn around and you, car- you see them carrying, all, all of them carrying Bibles. How do you feel now? All of a sudden there's, see the Christian threat's under control. I just don't think a lot of people even put this. We don't force our beliefs on anyone, but we have allowed the world to chip away like we don't have morals and we're not living according to the word. And I'm telling you, if you're living according to the word, you believe in life at any stage. There is a problem, and that problem right now is radical Islam. It's not Christianity. And when you get in your circles and you start hearing people talk about how evil the Jews or Christians are, you can know that's not them. They are not the threat. A people's dominant religion, or lack of religion, if you will, thereof, always exerts a significant influence in shaping government and the behavior of its people. Christianity, when practiced, shapes a peaceful existence. Come on, you can know that in your home. It just does. There's Islam, when practices, when it's practiced, produces war. Not just sometimes, every time. The Quran puts a premium on war. Offering the highest rewards to those who slay the greatest number of infidels. You're sitting there today. Who's an infidel? You and I. Anyone who is not of their faith, the greatest reward is in their religion is for everybody that's not of their faith to be killed. Now, you won't hear this a lot. It's not broadcast on the public news sources. If one tabulates the lives that have been lost by so-called Christian governments over the 2,000-year history of Christianity, and here's what you'll hear and you have on the news and you've heard it over the last 10 years, the Inquisition, even the Crusades, the Crusades, you've heard people talking, they were largely Christian attempts to repel militant Muslim jihadist invasions A very generous count of the total deaths that may be laid at the doorstep of Christianity is about 5 million. If you, if you want to lay that, not even understanding all the specifics. But the number of lives lost at the hands of secular, non- or anti-Christian leaders and governments in just the 20th century alone is over 100 million. You can use these two facts and go... Okay, Christianity isn't a threat. Islam is. Now, people from America, or you can say the West or Westerner, Westerners, assume something because of the way we've been raised. We assume that all religions encourage a respect 
for the dignity of each individual. Islamic law, I don't know if you've heard this, but it's called Sharia. But Islamic law, Sharia, teaches that non-Muslims should be killed in this world. Westerners tend to think that all religions encourage some form of the golden rule. Hmm. Sharia teaches two systems of ethics. One towards Muslims and one ethical system towards non-Muslims. You got to know they have, they teach this from a very young age. Here's how you treat Muslims and here's how you treat people that are not Muslims. America just doesn't really get it. Here's how it works. As long as the Muslim population remains under or around 2% in any given country, they will for the most part be recognized as peace-loving minority members of society and not a threat to citizens. Well, here's what I can tell you. In North America as a whole, North America, not just the United States, but North America as a whole, there's only 1% to 2% of the population that's Muslim. In the United States, we've just reached a little over the 2% mark. So we need to know that we've been taught something our whole life that is really not true. Muslims are not peace lovers. They're going to yell peace, but their peace comes from their ethical system towards Muslims, not towards non-Muslims. There's no peace towards non-Muslims. There's war towards non-Muslims, and Muslims there's peace. So they yell peace all the time and they say the way you get peace is to become a Muslim. Now, most people don't even know this when they're talking about that and going, well, Israel, I just, I can't really believe what they're doing to to Gaza. The average age of the citizens of Gaza is 25 years old. Most people don't know that. The more I've studied and studied, I realize that the older you get, sometimes you get a little smarter and you realize, I'm not living here no more. And so we've got a real state of frustration. Let's talk about the countries again. If America has 2% Muslim population, they just broke it in the last 5 to 10 years, a lot of different statistics. In countries where the percentage is above 2%, up to 5%, here's what Muslims do. They encourage and recruit from ethnic minorities with major recruiting from jails and street gangs. Well, how do you know that? Because it happened in Denmark, in Germany, in Spain, in Greece, and in Austria. You can go back and look at history and you can see where all of these places have already experienced that when their Muslim population is 2 to 5%. When you jump up to countries that have 5 to 10% Muslim population, the push for food that meets their Islamic standards, halal foods, if you will, they, they push for securing food preparation jobs for Muslims. They push supermarket chains to feature halal on their shelves along with threats to comply. Now, then they work to get the ruling government within their high percentage areas to rule themselves to come under Sharia law. Already happening in a few cities in the United States. So 5 to 10%, what countries represent that? Sweden has dealt with this, Switzerland has, and the Philippines. When you jump to the 10% range, Muslims approaching 10% of the population tend to increase lawlessness as a means of complaint about their conditions, and that's when you see outright acts of terror that start to happen 
in the cities of these countries. Car burnings, shootings, businesses terrorized, any non-Muslim action that offends Islam results in uprisings and threats. Well, how do you know that? Because it happened in India, Israel, France, Russia, Kenya. Now when you go to 20%, a nation with 20% Muslims can expect hair-trigger rioting, jihad militia formations, sporadic killings, the burnings of Christian churches, and Jewish synagogues. And the best representation of this, and I'm not going into all of these reports, you can go and get this sermon and you can look it all up, but Ethiopia is exactly what has, I mean, it's happened just like that in Ethiopia with 20% Muslim population. Jump up to 40. Y'all still with me? A lot of information here. 40%. They start experiencing widespread massacres, chronic terror attacks, ongoing militia warfare, and that's happened in Bosnia, Chad, Nigeria, and Lebanon. When you get up to 60%, nations start experiencing persecution of non-believers of every other religion, not just Christianity. But if you're non-conforming to the Muslim way of life, then they have what they call ethnic cleansing. Have you heard that word? And it starts becoming sporadic, and that's genocide. And they use Sharia law as a weapon. And they place taxes on the infidels, the non-Muslims. Well, I'm telling you, at 60%, we've got a problem. And you say, well, where has that happened at? Albania, Malaysia, Sudan. See, I'm, I'm not just talking about what will happen. I'm talking about what has already happened in these countries. And we need to know that because when you're talking about, oh, that evil Israel, you don't even know what you're talking about. So I'm trying to educate people today. When you have an 80% Muslim population, you, you can expect daily intimidation, violent jihad, some state run ethnic cleansing, and these nations work on driving out the infidels, the non Muslims, because they're moving towards 100% Muslim population. You say, where's that happen? Let me give you some names here. Bangladesh, Egypt, Libya, Iraq, Jordan, Syria, and Turkey. I, I, before I get to the 90 to 100%, let me just say, Michelle and I several years ago were in Israel, and we drove within three miles of the Syrian war. I mean, we were just right there. and they were, There was a lot of attacks. That's where they had launched a lot of the different missiles from. And we're like, are we in danger? And they said, no, no, no. You're in danger if you walk over that line. Because the percentage changes at the line. The percentage changes at the line. Why are we crossing the line in our conversations? We've got got to watch this. 90 to 100% of the Muslims in countries that they represent, 90 to 100% of the population, they usher in the Islamic house of peace. Because see, that's the only way to get peace is when it's all Muslims. And that's when they usher in the Islamic house of peace. And here, there's supposed to be peace in these countries that are 90 to 100% because most everyone is Muslim. They only have Muslim schools. The Quran is the only teaching mechanism that's the only thing they're going to use. 
And this happens in Afghanistan, which is 99.8% Muslim, in Saudi Arabia, who today, the statistics are, they're 96.2%. Somalia, 99.8%. Morocco, 99%. Yemen, 97.2%. Gaza, 98.7%. Now, that's the statistics that the Muslim Brotherhood will say. However, Israel says we still have 30% of the population. Do you see where you have a deficit? What's going on here? Can you believe what? Well, it depends on the source that it's coming from. That's why when the Bible's not your source, you're in trouble. It's got to line up. Iran, 99.4%. Yemen, 97%. Islam is growing twice as fast percentage-wise as the world's population is. So as the world's population is growing, Islam is, their population is growing twice as fast percentage-wise. So they're adding more and more people to the Islamic faith. faith, And the reason they are is because it's intimidation. Do you not know here in the United States of America, we're starting to be okay with intimidation? And it's not just from the Islam community. It's because as soon as we open our mouth and we have anything to say about the Bible, we're ousted. You can't use that. I'm telling you, we got to start talking about it again in our schools. We've got to start talking about God in our circles, at our work, in, in our families. G- growing up, I, I'm just, I'm old enough that I never had heard the term radical Islam growing up. Can anybody else testify to that? I mean, can you remember back when you were a kid? I never heard that word, radical Islam. It wasn't until after 9-11 America woke up, the Twin Towers, the planes flew into the towers, and and we knew that there were terrorists living in our land. And I had heard the word terrorist, but I had never heard the word radical Islam. Now, the reason why we have adopted this term radical Islam, because we think here in America that there's peaceful Islam and then there's radical Islam. And I challenge you today that they're the same. They're not two different things here. We became aware in 9-11 of their agenda, and our government and our people, praise the Lord, slowed their progress down. That's why we now are at a slower pace than a lot of other countries. And here's why. The church. The church has been made aware That way, we're not the bad guys. We're the good guys. The the last few years, though, the boldness of Muslims has started becoming on the rise again. Since 2015, really. And in the last few years, we've learned words that we never knew before. We, We know the word Islam. We know the word Muhammad. We know Allah. We know Jihad, Sharia, Taliban, uh, Al. Al-Qaeda, 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 how do you say that, Al-Qaeda? ISIS, remember that word? See, we've learned these words, and every year there are more and more Muslims, the Muslim Brotherhood, that we're learning more and more about these terrorist groups. I mean, just 10 years ago, you hadn't heard about Hamas because they hadn't been. See, there's more and more, and you've got to know they're all aligned. 
Here in America, every year there are more and more running for office. You know, in 2022, we had more Muslims running for office than ever in the history of the United States. Now, only four at this point have got into our Congress, and you probably already know the names of the two that are there right now. But here, here's why there are many running for offices, and it's an agenda to one day be in control of our country. It's an active agenda. They're running all over for school boards and city councils, city councils and school boards. And they're doing this because they want to get their percentages up. And if they can do that based on what I just taught you about the percentage of Muslims in a country, then before long, they can take it over. I, I, I got to tell you something that was said by Nihad Awad. You might go, who's that? He's the National Executive Director of Council on American Islamic Relations. He said this year, and I quote, we are witnessing the next step in the American Muslim community's political transformation from marginalized voices that were sidelined or worse to, make, to now decision makers. These newly elected officials are building upon the success of our community's decades-long investment in civic engagement, voter registration, and running for office. Church I'm not going to read that again. It's a lot of words. What he's saying is, good job. Good job, Muslims. Y'all are doing great. I just want you to know how proud I am of you. As the director for that here in the United States of America, I just want you to know we're not being attacked anymore. We're coming up in the government. And he's applauding where they're at. I would like you to note this morning that not all Muslims are terrorists. But all terrorists sure seem to be Muslim. Isn't that interesting? Chuck Colson commented, The truth is that bin Laden and his followers did not hijack Islam. They simply took it seriously. And what I want you to know is, when you are an advocate or you have people that are advocating Muslims and the Islamic community, they're immature in that faith because as they mature and they know more about it, they'll take it more seriously and you are the infidel. The followers of Muhammad have been the most violent people in the history of the world. They just have. Jesus taught that we are to love the sinner. Muhammad taught that the infidel must be killed if he refuses to convert. You just got to know. Let me give you some Bible things because here's what people say. Well, the Quran and the Bible, both good books, both good things for people. Both, both. Here's what you need to know. And, and I want to give you this because if you're ever talking to someone about it, you can go back to November 5th and say, hey, my pastor did a sermon on November 5th that might be able to teach you some things to show you the difference. And if you want any information, you let me know. I'll give you all of this because I have a feeling that some of you are dealing with it in your circles. The right response. There's a difference between the Bible and the Quran. There's a difference. The Quran says that Allah hates those who don't accept Islam. And it's in the Quran in, in 30 verse 4, 3 verse 32, 22 verse 38. 
I know you don't need to write all these down. Maybe you want to, but that's in the Quran. The Bible says in John 3, 16, God loves everyone. He loved the world. Okay, that's in direct contradiction to what Allah said. The Quran says, I have been commanded to fight against people till they testify that there is no good but Allah and no God but Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. That's 1, verse 33. In the Bible, in Matthew 26, 52, it says, He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. The Quran says, If then anyone transgresses the prohibition against you, transgress ye likewise against him. There's the golden rule for you. The Quran 2, verse 194, the Bible. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other one also. That's Matthew 5, 39. The Quran, O you who believe, fight those of the unbelievers who are near to you and let them find in you Hardness. The Quran 3, verse 110. In the Bible, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5. Are you getting some of this? My concern is that people don't know anything about Islam. I'll just give you a little bit today. I don't want to overwhelm you. I just want to give you a little bit for you to understand. Islam is not a peaceful religion. Muslims are wanting us and Jews dead. That is why the attack took place. Israel is not wanting them dead. They're wanting to establish a line and say, wait, we're staying on our side, you stay on yours. We're wanting you to know we don't want anyone to die. That's before before we do anything, we're sending all these leaflets to tell you get out. Why would they do that? Because they love life. There's a difference. My next concern is Christians taking responsibility for their own actions. Knowing how to act according to your faith. And so we should know the Bible well enough to speak maturely to those that are not Christians. That's why at this day and age, come on, Sunday morning's not enough. You can't come and hear a 30-minute sermon. I even implore you to say the classes are not enough. But, but praise God for both of them. We don't want to miss either one. I just was told this morning that what Millie taught was the greatest thing that they've ever heard for a new Christian and being able to understand the Holy Spirit. And I, I would guess to say that if we all showed up, we'd have to do something different because there's not enough seats in the classrooms that we have for all of us. I'm not trying to whoop you. I'm just saying we got to learn. And if you can't be there, what are you doing through the week? Come on, we're in a day of technology where you don't have to TikTok all the time. You could be listening to some teaching sermons. You could be really getting something. And when we're not doing that, I want you to know the Muslims are. And they're way more educated than Christians. All we've done for years is say, get saved, get saved, get saved. And we don't say, get educated, get disciple, get educated, get disciple, get educated, get, get saved, get saved, get saved. I'm talking to saved people this morning. If there's one or two of you that are not, come up here afterwards, I'll introduce you to Jesus. And then you got to get discipled. 
We've got to take this serious. Come on, what's going on in our country? We need some people who are educated on the word. I'm thankful you're here on Sunday morning. Please don't hear that. I don't want you here. I want you here, but I want us going somewhere deeper. We've got work to do. Not only do we need to know a little bit about their teaching, we need to know a lot about ours. We've got to learn to demonstrate Christ's love and not just win an argument. We've got to be able to use the Bible as a reference of encouragement, grace, love, peace, joy. I mean, let me just go through all the fruits. We, we need to tell Muslims about Jesus, not want to point a gun to their head and kill them. That's what they want to do. What I'm doing is I'm praying for my enemy. I didn't make them my enemy. They made themselves mine. Come on, Israel didn't say, hey, I just can't wait to kill all y'all. No, they started this. I don't know if anybody knows that. I, I just, live your life in front of people like God called you to. Get grounded in the word. Know God's teaching, live it. See, my concern here, this second point is real easy. Get educated on the word. I'm not talking about not growing in your relationship with the Lord. You need to do that. But in growing in your relationship with the Lord, you get to know more about him and what he's made available to you. Come on, he has some promises for his people. All right, and my third concern. I went through two real quick. I spent a lot of time on one. Here's my third one. The USA, we've got to be really careful not to turn our back on Israel. I'm concerned that we're not just entering a season of strained relations with Israel, but we're heading towards total American abandonment of this Jewish state. And I'm concerned. Genesis 12, God says he will bless those who bless Israel and the Jewish people and curse those who curse them. I don't want to be cursed. Joel 3.2, God warns the nations that he will judge all who divide the land of Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39, God warns that a group of nations will attack Israel in the last days, but no nation will come to Israel's defense. I'm talking some prophecy right now. Don't be surprised what's going on in our world. Revelation 16, God warns that all nations in the end of days will attack Israel. I can tell you, I won't support our nation if they're there, and I pray that there is still a remnant that won't. That's my prayer. Right now, I know we've got a few but I'm even concerned based on what the senators, the congressmen, the different ones, and all of them were talking about when we were in Washington just a couple of weeks ago, there's not a lot. But God's people are not judged with the wicked. So stay on the right side. The Bible teaches all nations will turn against Israel in the last days and they'll face judgment for it. What do the next few years hold? Well, can I just tell you, I'm not really sure. But this much I do know. On top of all America's na- na- national challenges, uh, the sins, we dare not abandon the people of Israel. If we do, we'll seal our fate as a nation. So you can just be watching. What's going to happen, I don't know, but I know what's going to happen if. Which brings me, brings me right back to you and I. Come on, I started this out and I want to end it with we're watchmen. We're watchmen on the wall. We're aware of what's coming. And make sure in your circles you're sharing the right thing so it doesn't fall on your shoulders. That's important. In conclusion, 
I, I can't tell you, I'm just, I, I don't know whether God's going to grant America a third great awakening. I don't, I don't know. And, and raise up a king like Josiah and forestall the coming judgment. I mean, I, I think about these things. I can't tell you whether the American government will do its job to protect us and our allies from radical Islam or just Islam, whichever one you want, if you want to divide them. Or whether America and the church will stand with Israel and bless her and the Jewish people. I don't, I don't know. But I can tell you this, we've called. We've been called. Come on, church, we've been called. We've been called to be watchmen on the wall. And I can tell you that Romans 8, 28, so many scriptures come to mind. When you are called and you love God, Anything that happens, God will use for your benefit. I'm just saying, for his benefit, and I'm not talking about a worldly view there. I'm talking about peace in your heart, peace in your home. This wasn't a doom and gloom message today, and if you leave here hearing it, that's not it. It's let's wake up. Come on, we overcome. We, we've got the right story. We, we have the opportunities like we've never had before to make an impact in this world. So what are we going to do? We're not going to be held responsible as long as we will be the watchman. But if you're not watching out what you're doing at work when you're in your circle groups and when you're in your family, yeah. that's all going to be on your shoulders. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't want it on mine, so I'm sorry, but I just gave you <laughs> a lot of information. And we're going to get more later. Even though many times... We are separated for generations, generations from God. God makes a way back. You know, you may come out of a family that didn't serve God. You weren't raised in church, but you're here this morning. See, you, you can turn things around. You don't have to be in a position where you can't. Let me, let me just say this. Much is hanging in the balance and we've got, to, we've got to look at some history. We've got to know some things. You know, any nation taken from its homeland loses its identity after five generations. I mean, just historical fact. And, and they, that nation will become absorbed in, into the culture of whatever they're in. So if you lose your homeland, it, but God demonstrated... His existence and his faithfulness by his dealings with the nation of Israel. Hear this. For 1,878 years, that's from 70 AD to 1948, there was no national state of Israel. Let me just read some scripture. Isaiah 11, verse 10. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people. Those who remain in Assyria, in northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, Ethiopia, Elam, in Babylonia, Hamath, and all the distant coastlands, he will raise a flag among the nations, and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth, and they'll return. Now, here's what you can know. We've seen that. One of the greatest 
stories of my trip to Israel. I get cold chills thinking about it. Our guide when we were over there was a Jew, and he wasn't saved. He wasn't a Messianic. He was a Jew that loved God and knew about his homeland, and he tells this story. He was in his 50s, pushing 60 when we were there. I don't remember his exact age, but he tells the story of living in a foreign country, and, and he had lived there and actually was born there and had been there his whole life, and he heard that they were coming, people were coming back to Israel. The Jews were coming back to Israel. And in 1948, they had the Arab-Israeli War, which allowed the immigration of Holocaust survivors from Europe, from the Arab countries, to come back to the homeland. It was all right here, what we just read to you. They saw Isaiah 11 come to life. And here's what happened. Abraham was one of those guys that had not been born there but was able to come back. Remember that, Mom? He would tell this story. And I'm talking about the love for Israel, the love for Jerusalem was all over this guy. And I didn't really have as much as he did. He had an understanding I didn't. And he told the story. When we loaded everything up and said, we're going home, he'd been taught his whole life that God's promises are yes and amen. And whether it was him or his kids, he would be restored to his homeland. He believed that with everything that he was. And he said, the second I crossed the line into Israel, he said, I fell face forward on my knees and I kissed the ground. And I said, thank you, God, for your promise. And he tells that story as tears are streaming down his face. And he said, Isaiah was right. Within one year after the establishment of Israel, the size of Jerusalem doubled. And it was independent from outside rule. 680,000 fled Iran, Afghanistan, settled in Israel through 1948 to 1990. Then in 1990 to 91, 380,000 Jews from the Soviet Union arrived. This is recent history. You need to know this. See, there, there is hope for God's people. Why? Because his promises are, yep, so be it. You're not going to defeat God. You might as well be on his side. And God represents Israel. Israel represents God. Do you, do you see that? So when you see an Israeli flag, boy, I hear the other day at the uh, fall festival we had, did you see out here the pizza truck had an Israel flag, the United States of America flag? He said it will always fly because I will stand with God. And I want you to know in your workplaces, in your home, come on, we got to learn and we got to stand with God. We got to stand with God. It's not over, praise God. When you see what's going on, you need to know we win. We're adopted in. We're on the right side. Don't turn against Israel. Come on, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to encourage you. Don't turn against Israel. That the prophecies are going to come to life. All of that's going to happen. I wasn't teaching on all that today. I was just teaching. We've got to know 
when you're hearing what's going on with the news, there's a biblical response that God's people need to have. And I hope I've just inspired you enough to study it a little bit. I have me. I'm sitting here talking thinking you don't know anything. We got to know more. We got to know more. We got to know more. But let's stand. Because we're on God's side. Let's stand this morning. Let's stand. As we stand, we're standing for Israel. We're going to pray for Israel. We're going to believe God for Israel. I want you to know as parents of children, this morning, if you're a Christian, you have a heavy responsibility to make sure your kids are secure enough in their faith that they're going to live Christianity. Because I promise you the Muslims are teaching their kids. And they're strong enough in their faith to kill you. Just a little thought. You want some Bible verses on this? On your way out at the Welcome Center, I've got a, a sheet of paper that I just printed out a bunch of verses. You might pick that up if you would like to be praying for Israel. Come on, we're, we're watchmen. We know what's going on. And we're going to live according to the word. And so I wanted to this morning have a little talk about it. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.